0: It's all very well, these breeding programs running smoothly and and genetic diversity being maintained in zoos. But zoos also, you know, in this day and age, they do a lot to try and help protect the habitats of those species as well.
1: Thanks for tuning in to episode eight of season one We Blue Dot, a conservation podcast. Enjoy listening. everyone and thank you for joining today's episode of Wee Blue Dot. It's great to be joined today by Adam Welsh, Head of Education at Five Sisters Zoo in Scotland. Adam is a zoology graduate and has a Master's in Biological Sciences, Wildlife Behaviour and Conservation. He has a variety of conservation experience that I'm excited to chat to him about today and we're so glad to have him on the show. And with that, Adam, welcome to Wee Blue Dot.
0: Thank you very much. It's very nice to, to be invited along today.
1: So, first of all, can you start off by telling us where you're joining us from today and how's life been over the last crazy year?
0: Yeah, um, so I'm, I'm actually joining you from the zoo today. So I'm, I'm currently at Five Sisters Zoo I'm in our offices here. And uh, and yeah, it's been, a, it's been a rather strange 12 months, obviously, the line of work that I'm involved in in a zoo you know it's been particularly weird I mean I think it's been strange for for everybody but you know the fact that the zoos um, across the UK across the world they had to close for for Mm. so long um, last year for that kind of initial three month period between March and June 2020 zoos were closed completely and then even after they reopened it was in um, you know a kind of reduced capacity and it's been a really strange year, um, work-wise, definitely, and then obviously personally, it's mm-hmm. it's just been it's been absolutely crazy, as as it has for for absolutely everyone. It's it's been really unusual, but hopefully there's some light at the end of the tunnel now. So I think we're all looking forward to that.
1: Yeah, but you've managed to still get involved in some um, online education and stuff haven't you but we can come back to that in a wee minute in regards to five sisters so first of all can you tell us how you got into conservation and the role you're in today and what kind of things you studied and stuff like that
0: of course so I mean I was always obsessed with animals when I was when Mm. I was younger I was reptiles were my thing you know I, I grew up watching people like Steve Irwin and I loved the idea of of just being able to work with with animals in some kind of capacity, um, and and when I was I think seven years old, I started badgering my parents um, to to get a pet snake, and and obviously that's probably not what most parents want their their seven year old to be to be asking for. So I was told, you know, when you're ten, um, you know, if you can answer all these questions, if you go away, you read up, you read books about them, and you're able to answer lots of questions about. About snakes, when you're 10, will we'll possibly consider buying you a corn snake, and that obviously they thought that was the end of it. You know, they they told me this on a in in the car one one evening on the way home when I was seven years old. But you know, right enough, three years later I turned 10 and I was still you know badgering away. You know, please, can I get this? Can I get yeah. a snake? And I had read books. I'd read up on this. I really really wanted this. Um, and and I was fortunate enough that they trusted me, so I was um, I was able to get this this pet corn snake Sissy, who actually still Sissy. still around, yeah, and <laughs> uh, still around today. So um, Sissy, and uh, that's where it started really. Yeah. Obviously, I had this pet snake, and then a few years later, I, I got a second pet snake, mm-hmm. Annie. Uh, so Sissy and Annie, <laughs> and um, uh, and yeah, that's that's where this kind of love for for animals really came from, and. I was really fortunate I actually grew up in West Lothian here in in Scotland and when I was about 12 years old there was this there was this very kind of small um garden centre near me um called Five Sisters Garden Centre that had actually just um they basically they recently um acquired a zoo license because they had a few animals that they had on show and uh and and they needed the license in order to do that Mm. and and I was really lucky I asked if I could come along and and help out and obviously that's definitely not something that can happen nowadays I was (laughs) 12 at the time um but I was really fortunate they said yes I was able to come along and and kind of help out and volunteer on the weekends and I did that right the way through high school and um, it was kind of uh, I got a lot of stick for it actually because you know you can imagine when you you go to school on a Monday and everyone's what were you up to the weekend I was at this party or that party oh I was I was at the zoo I was helping (laughs) clean out you know donkeys and goats and because that's that's really what was here at the time you know some kind of smaller uh, kind of domestic goats donkeys pigs sheep um, and then we you know there was a small kind of reptile collection at the time as well and then I just continued with that through high school and I decided when I was finishing up in high school that I really wanted to kind of take this further and mm. I, I wanted to pursue a degree in, in zoology or animal biology so I was, I was really lucky um, to be given a place through at the University of Stirling where I studied animal biology for four years it was an undergraduate course there and while I was studying there five sisters really started to, to evolve and mm. it kind of moved from this small sort of garden center pet and zoo to a proper proper zoo and yeah. and they really kind of got involved in conservation education they started focusing a bit more on, on real-time kind of conservation projects mm-hmm. as well and uh, and I was fortunate then that you know I obviously had ties with the place and through university I, I worked as a part-time zookeeper and it was around about that time that Five Sisters Zoo rescued three circus bears so I was I was here at the zoo when, when just after they they arrived and, and I had the opportunity um, to to kind of assist with some of that work which was incredible Uh, and when I graduated university that's that's when I really decided that um you know I, I was taking a break from the kind of zoo world mm-hmm. and I, I went off um I, I went abroad to over to over to West Africa actually where I was involved in um a, a kind of conservation project and that was a, the first sort of post university role and um, was working in field sites over there in, in Ghana which was fantastic um and after a year of doing that I moved back to Scotland I was jobless at the time and um you know five sisters I was really lucky they they offered me a position in their education team and zoo education was something I'd kind of been involved in a bit before a bit with before but um, you know it wasn't really a full-time job for me mm-hmm. um, and so this was the first time I'd been involved with it properly and I was really lucky to be working underneath uh, at, at somebody called Nathan Roberts. He was a fantastic boss at the time. Uh, he was at the head of education here at Five Sisters, and he was a great mentor. Um, and he was really focused on a lot of the kind of outdoor learning side of things. And, and that really, that was incredibly inspiring to see. Uh, so after a couple of years working with Nathan, working with the education team here at Five Sisters, I went off and pursued my master's degree, so a research master's in biological sciences, and it was after that, so about two and a half years ago, I found out that you know Nathan had actually he'd left the the zoo as well to pursue you know a, a different kind of line of work. Um, I discovered they were actually looking for somebody to lead their education team, so I jumped at the chance, and, yeah. and I've been here ever since. And that's kind of the story from then till now. It was just a real obsession with wildlife when I was little that kind of brought me to this point, point. Um, and then lots of kind of volunteering um, mm. and you know getting involved in any way, shape, or form that I could. I'm really lucky to have this kind of long-standing relationship with this particular zoo. Definitely. Um, but but yeah, no, it's it's been lots of voluntary work not just here but you know in other places as well and yeah and just yeah, I don't know, just enthusiasm and passion for it, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, that definitely comes across. And I know Nathan as well, so I know he's the same as you say. Um can I ask what your masters, what did you do the research in? You kind know, of what was it about? So
0: um I was it was actually it was done through the University of Chester so it was it was really nice it wasn't a top master's it was a research master's so it was it was basically I was kind of left alone to to kind of do my do this kind of project and um, I had a, a couple of supervisors down there that they were absolutely fantastic and so I really liked that because there was a lot of freedom and um, to kind of explore this this project in, in a kind of great depth and it was it was focused on um, endangered primate populations over in Ghana again and sure. um, so I actually got the opportunity to go out there for three months and I was I was working in the in the field over there and um, so I really got to see what it was like on the ground which is you know it is absolutely amazing mm. it's uh you know it's a case of kind of you know, roughing it in a tent for a few months, but I, I love that. I love <laughs> camping. I love being outside. And so it was absolutely, it was just an unbelievable experience. Um, And yeah, I'm really, really grateful for that. It was a lot of walking as well. So walking <laughs> sort of recce, So yeah. basically walking in a straight line for hours and hours every day, just hoping that, you know, you might spot some signs of these, uh, of these kind of species somewhere in this forest. And there was a lot of hills as well where we were working. So yeah. it was a challenge, but you know, I loved it. And I uh, you know I don't regret it at all.
1: Yeah a good experience though I think it's important in any sort of conservation job to, to have that a bit of at least a bit of experience you know working in the field as you say and realizing how hard work it is basically um, that sounds really cool. Can you tell us a wee bit more about Five Sisters Zoo and why it's called Five Sisters?
0: Yeah um, so Five Sisters Zoo is uh, it's a privately owned zoo so it's um, it's run by a, a couple Brian and Shirley Curran and they actually they were the people that that ran the garden center that was the zoo's kind of predecessor as well and they've always had a real kind of passion for wildlife and and i think that's really kind of what motivated them to to start this and start this kind of collection up and and i don't think they ever really realized what it would one day become Mm -hmm. so five sisters zoo and before it was a zoo the garden center is located at uh, what's just at the foot of the, the five sisters which are five Bings, um, as we call them here in West Lane it's basically these old shale deposits. Um, so from the the shale kind of mining era, okay. and um, so it's basically all this kind of waste shale that's been piled up, and they're a kind of local landmark. So that's that's the reason the place is called Five Sisters Zoo. It's not owned by five sisters or anything like that. <laughs> um, that's That'd I think right that's the number one. Yeah, <laughs> that's the number one kind of. Um, Question, honestly, so many people ask us why it's called Five Sisters oh. Zoo. Um, but yeah, that's that's the reason. And it's it's been a zoo now, so with a zoo license for 16 years. So it was 2005 that it first um, sort of opened its doors as a zoo. It was very small scale back then but now um, you know it's a very different place and we've got over 160 different species um, that, that we have on site and we're involved in a, a few different kind of conservation projects here in the UK and abroad as well so overseas too mm-hmm. so yeah it's a really exciting place to work and because it is still privately owned it's a really kind of it's, it's got a nice feel to it as well because obviously everybody knows each other really well and um, and I'm lucky too I've been here for so long that you know I, I get on brilliantly with all the the kind of management and with the owners and whatnot so it is a great place to work.
1: Yeah no it sounds like it and um, and how, what you've talked about all the different animals the different species you've got there can you give us an example of some of the different species the variety you have at the zoo? Yeah so we've
0: got everything from you know leaf cutter ants all the way through to European brown bears and, and lions. Uh, we've been involved when it comes to some of the sort of larger um, animals that we have on site uh, some of the larger species like so the bears and the lions that we have here they have been um, well they're rescue cases so a lot of the well certainly all the bears that we've worked with have all been rescued from some pretty bizarre places roadside restaurants and mm. circuses um, and the lions as well are all ex-circus lions uh, and we've been involved in in several rehoming cases as well so snow leopards that we have here have been rehomed and um, we've got quite a large reptile collection too so you know we've got um West African dwarf crocodiles on site at the minute. We've got carpet pythons. It's 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 amazing. It's very, very diverse. And obviously we're part um we're 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 a Biazza member zoo, so the British and Irish Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So, you know, we work with zoos across the UK. So, you know, animals move to us from other zoos, and our animals move elsewhere as well. So yeah, it's it's a it's a brilliant place. We're very involved in rescues, but also very, very involved with other zoos in the UK too.
1: Yeah. No, that sounds great. And uh, and what does your current role kind of entail on a, on a day-to-day basis? Maybe normally before COVID, we'll talk about first and then yeah. we can talk about during COVID.
0: So, yeah, before COVID, it seems like a kind of distant memory <laughs> oh, now, wow. but um, we obviously the education team here, which I'm really lucky to kind of uh, be head of, we are normally on a kind of day to day basis we're involved with any visiting groups so you know schools that might be visiting universities colleges nurseries you know other different organizations that might be bringing young people along for the day or you know, adult groups, we tend to deal with them more often than not. So, we'll run different education sessions, and mm-hmm. we have a real kind of emphasis on trying to get people outdoors as, as much as, as possible. So, we've got a nice wildlife pond here, we do kind of lots of um, pond dipping down there and invertebrate ID, and um, we, we go outside and we, we kind of run bug counts out and about around the park. And we've also got our indoor classrooms as well. So, um, you know, over the years, Years, we've you know, run various different sort of sessions that are linked to the, the curriculum for excellence up mm-hmm. here in, in Scotland for primary and secondary yeah. um, pupils. Um, so whether that's focusing on the rainforest or habitats and adaptations, we get involved in all these different classes. So we obviously run those sessions, but there's also a lot of work goes into planning them as well. Um, and then on top of that, all of the sort of signage and interpretation around the park, that's our responsibility to make sure that we're updating that as much as possible. And things change so much in the world of wildlife you know a species could be you know listed as least concern one week and then it's vulnerable to extinction the next Mm -hmm. because there's been a big meeting somewhere and decided to kind of you know upgrade the status or downgrade the status so we have to kind of keep on top of those things Mm. um, and then also make sure that you know our interpretation is exciting and engaging and is actually you know telling us the story that we want it to tell yeah. and we also work a lot with our volunteers so in normal times we have a lot of um you know we'll have volunteers that come in on site a lot of our volunteers sort of traditionally would work on the kind of animal husbandry side of things and so they would they would volunteer alongside our keepers um however we do have some volunteers that, that work with us on education as well mm. um, and so we we'll kind of get them out and about especially in the summer months when we're busy and you know get them engaging with Visitors that are kind of moving through the park. You know, it's, it's surprising, but it can really enhance someone's day just if there's somebody there to kind of tell them the name of an animal or where it's from or why it's endangered, why we have it here at the zoo. And so that's that's really why those volunteers are so, so beneficial and so, um, well, pivotal really. You know, we couldn't really do our job um, without them. So we, we work with them as well. So lots of different things going on. It can be a really hectic job sometimes normally i would say sort of january february is the sort of downtime for the the (laughs) education team um but it it can still be busy then and and certainly right the way through summer it is it is hectic yeah certainly
1: no you're right i mean you're saying that i I mean i remember before i worked in, in any sort of zoo education role just meeting someone on the ground in the zoo that could chat to you about that particular species or tell you a wee bit more or tell you some personal stories about that animal yeah it makes all the difference um obviously one day we'll get back to that but at the moment obviously because of covid over the last year um you've been getting involved in a lot more online learning haven't you
0: yep yep no it's everything's moved online for everybody (laughs) including including zoos um and it has been strange it's been really strange i mean i think last march um obviously when we were kind of things were Sort of changing, and mm. we we obviously saw what was going on in Italy and in mm-hmm. Europe, and it was oh like you know could this happen to us? And and it was quite frightening. I think yeah. you know I would speak for everybody when it was like you know we didn't really know much about this virus at the time, mm. and it was it was quite yeah it was a bit scary. And and I think everybody here was you know on, on the kind of education side of things and. Uh, you know was, was quite worried as well because you know we're so used to having groups come into the zoo yeah they come in they pay money to visit we're able to provide these sessions for them that's essentially what keeps us going and, mm-hmm. and what would happen mm-hmm. if they weren't here you know it was a really weird thought and so what we kind of decided to do pretty quickly um you know after the sort of lockdown um was was put into place was you know, we didn't want to stop and um, we wanted to try and engage with people um you know that were maybe stuck at home. And so initially it, it wasn't really a case that we were we were online at all. We actually started off by sending out education packs, so physical packs in the post. Um, you know, we sent them out to, to various people that were that were wanting to get involved. And then as the year progressed and you know things weren't, you know, they weren't returning to normal anytime soon, we decided obviously to kind of move online and mm-hmm. and that's when we started offering sort of you know the sessions that we would normally offer out. To groups that were coming for a physical visit, yeah. Yeah. we started offering them, you know, over Zoom or over Teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in January of this year, that's when we had a real big drive um, on the on the kind of online learning, especially for school pupils um, during that second kind of period of lockdown. Mm-hmm we hadn't really heard much from schools in several months. And mm. we really wanted to engage with with teachers and pupils, um, you know, like we used to pre-COVID. And so we decided that we would run 10, uh, a series of 10 sort of online lessons with accompanying activity sheets. And they were all made, made available for free, essentially. So they were put on our YouTube channel and teachers could access them. They, they were put out across five weeks. So on a Tuesday and a Thursday, those 10 episodes, teachers could watch them with their class. Um, you know and you know, pupils at home could watch them as well yeah. and then they had these activity sheets that they could that they could kind of you know get involved with too and that was really successful and that that was re- there was an amazing uptake I think we had about 500 teachers from across Scotland wow. and, and from other parts of the UK as well get in touch with us and um, asking us to kind of add them to a mailing list in, in order to send out more information about that yeah. so that went really really well yeah, and great. off the back of that we've obviously had more kind of online bookings as well but yeah it's just been a case of yeah, trying to make sure that we still have this presence because zoo education has probably never been more important than right now. Mm-hmm. And um it's probably never been more difficult to to get the message out there either. So it's yeah. kind of a weird one.
1: We're so lucky though. I mean, looking on the bright side, we're so lucky that we have this. You know, we have Zoom, we have the ability to speak to people on other sides of the world and and get involved. And I think, I mean, for my own family, my own nieces and nephews, they're they're better at using zoom than I am, that's for sure because of school. Um, but but yes, yeah, it sounds like you've managed to, yeah, provide something for all the different teachers and pupils who are out there. It sounds great. Um, and in regards to conservation at the zoo, um, are there any particular projects that you guys work with? Um, you mentioned, you know, that some of the big species are rescues, which we can chat a wee bit more about as well. And um, but are there any particular projects that you guys have
0: links to so yeah um we're really well we've got a few a few different links to it so I'll I'll kind of go into a couple of them just now um we we've been working with an organization called Seed Madagascar over the last um the last kind of couple of years and um really we're here to kind of promote awareness of their work more Mm. than anything and uh, we also sell they make all sorts of different um kind of they were making bracelets at one point and um, but you know throughout COVID they were making masks um, as well and, and we were selling them in our shop here when we could or posting them out to people you yeah. know from online purchases and um, when the shop hasn't been able to to open uh, and, and that kind of helps generate a small kind of income for for them uh, for seed madagascar as a small amount of money a small amount of funding for for seed um, and for their work so that's how we're kind of involved with them mm-hmm. and we try and support them in any way that they w- we possibly can they have an amazing project ongoing at the moment called project ala and um, where they're trying to implant um, forest corridors to link up a few sort of small isolated pockets of forest in southern madagascar mm-hmm. and that's the project that we kind of are, Directly trying to support here at Five Sisters, um, and and yeah, we, we probably haven't done as much as we would have loved to do over the past sort of twelve months for them, but we've tried to stay, um, you know, as as in contact as possible, yeah. and we've we've tried to we've tried to kind of generate as much interest in their work as we possibly can over the last year as well, and certainly last year we had World Lemur Day mm-hmm. online. Um, mm-hmm. From Five Sisters, and we were able to invite um, a member of Seed um, Madagascar's team uh, to come along, and they were able to present a, um, a fantastic talk as well that day. And, and hopefully, it just helped to raise some more awareness for some of the amazing, the amazing kind of work that they that they do. Yeah. Um, we're also we're really quite involved at the at the moment in some of the the kind of beaver um, translocations and that are going on within sort of Britain right now too. Well. Um, so beavers that are moving from Scotland down to down to official test sites or release sites in um, in England so mm-hmm. um you know we we work with some amazing partners on on that project and you know it's it's fantastic work it means that you know there's not the beavers here in scotland aren't facing lethal control Mm -hmm. in areas where um you know they might be causing damage to to kind of land or causing conflict with with landowners so they're trapped um, and then they're moved down to these official sort of test sites or release sites down in england but they stop off here at five sisters we've got a purpose built um, sort of, you know, facility for them to stop off in and they are health screened by our veterinary staff before moving off to those sites in England. So that's a really cool project that we've become involved in over the sort of last 18 months as well. So that's just a, a couple of examples of some of the really kind of exciting stuff that's, that's going on here at the moment that's really having a direct impact um, on conservation.
1: Yeah, and it's great to hear that you've got stuff, you know, projects from Madagascar and closer to home in in Scotland and in Britain. That shows the variety of work that that zoos do. Um, And you talked, as I say, a wee bit there about the rescue bears and the rescue lions that you have. It's quite unusual. I mean, a lot of people might not know, I guess, in Britain, as you said we all the zoos use, um, work together um, with in Britain and Europe, and as you say, we kind of move animals around for different breeding programs and things like that. Um, but you've also been able to to rescue some animals as as well. So that's a great. I imagine that's a great kind of story to to tell the public as well.
0: Definitely. I mean. The reactions that we get to those stories are, are fantastic. Right. I mean, we've we've helped to rescue five bears since 2011. Um, and then we've helped to rescue these four, four lions as well. And those are the kind of high profile yeah. sort of rescue cases that we have been involved with so the Bears and um, so in, in 2011 and um, Peggy Susie and Carmen arrived with us they were all being kept as part of a circus unfortunately they were about 25 years old when they arrived here at first so mm. they were all quite el- quite elderly at the at the time and the Volsons passed away mm. unfortunately and um, but they all did live into their 30s and we did we've provided um the Bears under our care with a with a sort of two and a half acre uh, forested area that they can that they can roam about in we'll scatter, well I say we, um, the keepers, um, you know I'm not going to take credit for their work, the keepers <laughs> will go in and scatter um, lots of food in there so they'll go out and they'll forage just like a bear would do in a forest up in northern um, Europe somewhere. Um, we allow the bears to go into torpor in the wintertime as well so they go into that deep sleep that's really really important for their survival um, out in the in the wilds of, of Europe um, and that's, that's quite That's quite an important thing, you know, physiologically for them to do is is to go into that torpor and we we try and you know, promote those natural behaviours as much as we possibly can, which is something I'm really proud to say that we do here at Five Sisters with the with the bears. Um, and then Henk and Esso, they're a brother and sister that were rescued from a roadside restaurant of all places um, oh. over in Eastern Europe. They were brought to us in 2018. Unfortunately, Henk passed away at the start of last year, but Esso is, is still living here at the zoo right now. So hopefully once we open up a bit more, if anyone's coming along to visit, you'll be able to see Esso out and about. She's actually just starting to wake up from her kind of annual torpor um, right now. Um, so that's very similar to kind of hibernation and yeah. um, where she basically sleep from November through to sort of February, March time. She's still quite sleepy just now, and um, but hopefully in the next sort of month or so we'll see her become increasingly active. Yeah. She'll come out and she'll start gorging herself and all that food that's that's being scattered around in the enclosure mm-hmm. for her. Um and yeah, they were rescued from this roadside restaurant where we believe they were possibly used as sort of photo props when yeah. they were younger. Um so obviously that's that's a really it's quite an important story to tell our visitors um from the the kind of conservation education side of things you know it might seem like a really kind of cool idea to when, you, when you're abroad and you see something like a bear and a cafe you know or a, a tiger that's probably the big one yeah. um uh, you know to go in and get a, a picture taken with it you know a selfie post it all over facebook we really 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 you know advise people not to do that and because obviously you don't know how well that animal is being looked after you don't know where it's where it's come from has it been taken from the um from a forest somewhere has it been taken from the wilds has has the mother of that animal been shot in order for somebody to take it you know these are all real problems that are facing wildlife you know kind of globally and um, and that's that's something that we can really kind of draw on from from that story with, with Henk and Esso, and yeah. um, so they had a really kind of quite a tragic start to life unfortunately but they were moved over here to five sisters and obviously introduced to that nice and um, sort of big enclosure and the same with the four lions as well and um, there are four male lions mm-hmm. they get confused um, for lionesses all the time because they don't have any manes they mm-hmm. were castrated and um, so they've got a bit of a, a hormone imbalance they don't produce enough testosterone um, and as a result they don't have any manes yeah um, and unfortunately, they also had their claws removed by the circus that was keeping mm-hmm. them as well, which is obviously not a nice procedure for a lion to be going through. So, um, again, it's a really good opportunity for us to kind of, you know, tell visitors about about this and, and you know, tell them why this why this is wrong. Um, you know, why keeping animals like this is not in their kind of best interest. And, and obviously, um, hopefully our visitors can draw on this and it will help them make informed decisions in the future yeah. if uh, if they're... You know, ever witnessing anything um, or or kind of put in a position where they're making a decision about whether or not to, to get a picture with something.
1: No definitely I think that um, it's raising awareness isn't it because I mean over the last year or so it became trendy and more people knew about it because of the likes of Tiger King and programs like that but it goes across so many species as you say um, with the likes of the bears as an example or monkeys and all sorts of parts of the world but it's just raising awareness a wee bit to just be just kind of think about it before you do it. If you are abroad eventually, when we can go on holiday again, <laughs> and you see situations like that, just think about it a wee bit. Um, maybe, as I say, it's much better to promote and support places like yourself who are giving them a nice kind of retirement home. Um, am I right in saying that the the bears, I remember when they first came, I mean, they hadn't ever really seen an enclosure like, like they're living in now. No. So did it take them a wee while to adjust to that?
0: It did. We've actually, we've had to, the, the enclosure is sort of two and a half acres in, in size um, in its entirety but we have the ability to kind of split it up into three smaller parts yeah. um, and then they all obviously have smaller indoor dens as well um, and certainly when Peggy, Susie and Carmen first arrived back in 2011 like um, you know this was a shock to the system they'd been kept in a in the back of a trailer for the best part of 25 years yeah. so this must have been a real shock to them in fact the first days that they were out in this sort of forested area we found that they were getting scalps stuck in their mm. in their paws which which is not normal those um, those paws should be nice and kind of leathery and tough you know from years of kind of walking about and uh, you know and kind of soil and, and you know amongst branches and thicket and all sorts of things and and unfortunately that just wasn't the case and so what we had to do with them and then with Esso in 2018 kind of introduce them to this enclosure gradually and um, we didn't want to just you know put them in a state shop shock sure. by saying here's two and a half acres go out and enjoy it that's not what you do you know and um, mm. so we, we've got these three um sort of sections so gradually we could open the enclosure up a little bit more to them until they were kind of comfortable with their surroundings and they were able to use that whole sort of forested area And mm. um, mm. so yeah no it was it was it was a learning curve for everybody here as well because nobody um yeah. you know here at Five Sisters you know we'd never had bears before and um, mm-hmm. so we worked with um you know various other different UK collections before the bears were, were you know kind of arrived here were brought to us here and um, you know to make sure that our staff were trained and then we also had some uh, you know amazing support from a woman called Elsie Poulsen mm-hmm. um, who was from over in, um, over in the, the states um, and canada i can't remember but um she basically came over from from north america and um and she was a fantastic mentor as well um, when the when the bears first arrived yeah um, so yeah no that's that's we've had to it was a learning curve but we had amazing support from lots of amazing people um, yeah. in order to make that happen
1: no, it sounds, I mean, I've seen the enclosure, obviously, and it is it's a lovely enclosure for them. And I can imagine it's once they get acclimatised, it's a nice place for them to, to live and retire. Um, I was laughing there for anyone who's not Scottish who's listening. A skelf is a splinter, isn't it? I had this conversation recently with yes. someone who didn't know what a was. So just some Scottish translation there for you. Yeah, um, so Sorry about you, that. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's, it makes me laugh. But I'm having to think about these things more, which is quite funny. Um, Do you have any particular animals in the zoo that you've mentioned reptiles already, but do you have any particular animals in the zoo that you really love working with or getting to to spend time around?
0: I, um, unfortunately, these days, um, I, don't, I don't really have much to do with the, the kind of husbandry side of things. Obviously, being, um, you know, being involved in the, in the world of zoo education is definitely a full time role um, mm. more than a full time role sometimes. Um, so I've got enough to keep me busy, um, you know, on, on that side of things. So I, I leave that obviously to the, to the keepers. They do a, an amazing job. I yeah. think we've got 16 or 17 zookeepers here at Five Sisters and they're an incredible team. Um, And, you know, they work so, so hard, uh, you know, through all conditions, all times of the day, you know, through holidays, weekends, you know, it doesn't matter. They're here doing this incredible job. I would say if I was to pick a favourite sort of species that we have here at the zoo, I would probably go with the West African dwarf crocodiles. When I was a keeper part time, I was very kind of involved with the the reptile section that we have here, so mm-hmm. I did get to to assist with some of the the work going on in the in the West African dwarf crocodile enclosure. Um, you know, a good few years ago now, and the the reason I've chosen them is actually they they arrived at the zoo the same day as I did. So when I was twelve and I started volunteering here. Uh-huh that was um, I came and started on the day that their enclosure opened so there's there's that kind of tie-in as well I would say that they're probably my my favourites for a couple of reasons but yeah they've been here for exactly the same length of time as me as well so yeah that's, that's a nice story
1: yeah no definitely so moving on to chat a wee bit about kind of zoo education in general obviously we first met through zoo education so we're obviously biased we're obviously very passionate about it um, but why do you personally think that education in zoos is so important today and can I just say when I say zoos I mean zoological collection so that's a zoo like yourselves or an aquarium or a farm park and um, anywhere basically that hosts animals.
0: Yeah I mean zoo education you're right we are probably biased but it is incredibly important super vital um, and I mean right now we're living through what scientists and experts say is a global biodiversity crisis and um, let's be honest that sounds pretty depressing and um, pretty horrendous and there's a lot of people out there especially younger audiences that you know hear all this doom and gloom all the time and, and it's so overwhelming like, you know, I get overwhelmed by it. So, you know, somebody at primary school here in Scotland or, you know, the equivalent, I know we're talking globally now, so it might not be <laughs> primary school elsewhere, elementary school, perhaps. Um, you know, it must be really overwhelming for them. And, and I think this is what zoos do so well. Zoo educators are... Generally, very very positive people, and they're very kind of solution focused. So you know, we're here to remind people that yes, we are in the middle of a global biodiversity crisis. Yes, it's scary, and yes, we do have to do something about it. But we can do something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things that we can do to make sure um, that we're that we're improving um, on things. And you know, it's not just a case of you know, sit back and let the world end that's you know that's not the case at all things are really really rough at the moment and you know that has been displayed time and time again over the last 12 months especially um but we can do something uh, you know about protecting wildlife we can do something about global climate change we can do something about deforestation these are all problems that we can solve and being able to to kind of reach out to to a younger audience or or even an an adult audience um, here mm-hmm. at a zoo in front of these um you know examples of these amazing species mm-hmm. and actually tell them what they can go home and and do tomorrow to try and and make sure that we can better protect our world is just is just just amazing. I, I love it, and and I think it is so so important. And I think it's really quite undervalued as well. Um, I, I think there's there's a real real importance in, in zoo education. And and to be honest, zoos are really they, they they are amazing places. Um, but they're only really as good as their conservation and their education programs. So mm-hmm. you know, zoos really need to make sure that their you know their conservation education and then their conservation projects as well are you know really top top priorities. And mm-hmm. and I'm really happy to see that that is that is happening now um yeah. you know in this sort of day and age in 2021 in your modern zoo and um, mm-hmm. that is definitely a real priority
1: yeah no i mean my experience um as you say is the same that a lot of people i speak to in throughout conservation and just through friends and family and things that they all have different views towards a zoo and in commas, as i say whether it's an aquarium a zoo and um, an animal park I obviously have seen firsthand the amazing work that they do and the positive impact that they have Um, and I mean maybe a hundred years ago or more zoos were very much a place to where animals were exotic animals were brought over and and people went to observe them, but today as a good zoo um, involved in all the like kind of communicating with all the different zoos around the world as you say, animal welfare is number one, and then kind of research, conservation, education are the are the number two on the list, basically. And they're so important. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, my experience, as you say, is just being able to educate people a little, just giving people a little bit more information about that particular animal. Or I particularly do enjoy working with children. But equally, as you say, all the different people who visit um, a zoological collection are open to learning, and it makes. It gives people that kind of extra memorable experience, doesn't it, when they're, when they're
0: out for a day out. Hundred percent, and I mean, I think if I was to say what a zoo educator, if you were to ask me, like, you know, what does a, what is a zoo educator there for? I would, I would say to inspire change. That is the most important sort of role that we have, and it is a huge role. Um, and you know, it's it's not something that you know it doesn't work for everybody, I guess. But yeah, um, that's what we're here to do is to inspire change um, and inspire a, a, a different way of thinking towards um, the sort of natural world and um, you know that's that's the sort of most important reason that, that zoo education exists in the form that it, that it exists in today.
1: Yeah and I mean zoos obviously in Britain in particular um, play you know they're big tourist attractions they play they are a business they play a huge part in kind of allowing people to have a fun day out with their family but as you say if someone can come along to an educational talk that you're maybe running and just learn a wee tiny bit more about that species or even better contribute you know donate something or contribute to a conservation project then then that's amazing. Um, Another big part of zoos today obviously is is conservation breeding Um, so can you kind of tell us a wee bit about like some of the species maybe that are endangered in your collection and why it's so important to to breed them and how we work together
0: to do that? Yeah, so, I mean, I think the nicest example that that sprung to mind there, I mean, we we, we work with a whole sort of sweep of different endangered, critically endangered, vulnerable animals here um, at Five Sisters, but um, the Scottish Wildcats that that Mm. we have on site, um, we were really, really um, delighted last year that that there was three young kittens born here at Five Sisters Zoo. Harris, Dura, and Aaron, um, mm-hmm. and and that was absolutely it was an amazing thing to see happen. It was the first time that there had ever been wildcats successfully breed here, and so they're all part of this uh, of the breeding efforts to try and help uh, help boost sort of population um, numbers. Um, and and Scottish wildcats, obviously, for, for those of you that are not um, listening from Scotland, um, I'm very aware of that now, um, so I'll keep I'll keep <laughs> saying <worry>. that. Um, <laughs> they uh, obviously Scottish wildcats. Are they've had a, a bit of a rough time, and um, obviously through kind of hybridization and um, with domestic cats, with feral cats, um, and also you know, there's the problem with feral cats kind of bringing diseases into and um, sort of you know, kind of small populations of, of wild cats as well. Uh, and and so, you know, those feral cats have really caused and um, sort of populations up in the highlands of Scotland, uh, you know, to. plummet unfortunately and there's not very many of them left out there in the wilds of Scotland right now so zoos have really kind of collaborated um, to to, basically make sure that we're doing something about that and and Five Sisters is really delighted to be part of those kind of collaborative efforts um, to try and help boost numbers of Scottish wildcats out in the wild and um, you know so eventually um some individuals will hopefully you know be released out into the wilds of, of Scotland again and it'll help kind of boost those numbers so we're kind of involved in that in in the capacity sort of breeding capacity here at the zoo so we obviously breed scottish wildcats on site and um, but they are all part of that of that project so if needs be we'll move our individuals over to another zoo or off to um, the sort of official breeding center up north um, and uh, yeah they're all part of this bigger picture which is really quite exciting and i think that's the thing that people don't necessarily realize
1: well.
0: it's not as simple as breeding animals and then putting the offspring back out into the wild. It doesn't work like that. Zoos really have to work together to make sure um, that we're maintaining genetic diversity, um, you know, and and behavioral diversity in, in some cases as well. Um, and, and that's really, really a very kind of important important thing for for zoos to kind of consider and for zoos to be involved in. So these projects tend to um, work best when there is this kind of collaborative effort between different zoos.
1: Yeah, no, as you say, though, it's an example of the kind of importance of the collaboration between zoos. And I think the average visitor coming in might not realise all that kind of work's going on behind the scenes. Um, But as you say, it's not as simple as just, you know, breeding them and moving them around. They're, as you say, you're part of BIASA, which is the British and Irish Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and then there's EASA, the European version, WAZA, the worldwide version, and all of these different uh, organizations work together and communicate in regards to breeding programs. So, for example, imagine there's a stud bookkeeper for the Scottish or the wildcat in the whole of Europe, you know, and you kind of work together to make sure, as you say, that you maintain that gene- genetic diversity um, and, and. Make sure the animals are as healthy and and good to go as possible. And so it's yeah. so important. But you mentioned, I mean Scottish wildcats are a, a personal example to us too, obviously, but they're people I find in Scotland, they are more interested in learning about tigers or, or lions or things that seem more exotic, but it's really important to bring it back to, to the things that are in their backyard, so to speak, and, and in our country as well, that are actually way more endangered um, than the likes of tigers and lions. So it's it's I think crazy. it
0: really really hits home when you tell people that, you know, there's not very many of these left. And if, mm-hmm. if zoos weren't sort of getting involved and, and doing their bit to help protect this population, you know, 10, 20 years' time they might be gone completely, you know, it, it's, um, you know, it, it really does hit it, hit it home when when you kind of put it in those terms. And, and yeah, um, that's not just for Scottish wildcats. That's, you know, several different species that, are, you know, zoos across the UK are currently really um, sort of involved in, in helping to protect. And I think the big um, sort of important thing as well is, is obviously to realise that, you know, it's all very well, these breeding programmes running smoothly and, and genetic diversity being maintained in zoos, but zoos also, you um, you know in this day and age they do a lot to try and help protect the habitats of those yes. species as well because you know if you want you know it's it's brilliant having these nice healthy zoo populations but if they're ever to be released at, at some point, you know, or offspring are ever to be released at some point in the future, making sure that, um, you know, habitats remain intact and making sure that wild populations um, remain healthy as well is, is, is a super big kind of priority that um, that most zoos are really kind of involved with now as well. So, you know, even through our work with Seed Madagascar with, you know, the kind of project, you know, that we're involved in with them, trying to help plant these forest corridors, all of that work is, is just as important and zoos in 2021 are really involved in that and it and it is a really I think that's what makes a zoo such an exciting place to work um uh, because you know you you could be talking about a species that you have on site one minute and then you're talking to somebody about the work that they're doing on the other side of the world you know five Mm -hmm. minutes later it's it's really exciting I I love being involved in that stuff
1: yeah no you're right um and you mentioned for example, the kind of problems facing the Scottish wildcat. But there are so many, so many different problems facing species today, whether it's kind of the illegal wildlife trade, poaching um, and zoos are obviously raising awareness of all these different things as well. So so they do play a really important part, I think. I mean, when I was a wee girl, I remember going to zoos and that was where I kind of got inspired. You know, it's the first time I saw all these different species in real life. Um, you know, I wasn't going on holiday to all these exotic places abroad and get the chance to see wildlife. So, And also, as you know yourself, when you do go abroad and try to go to these locations, quite often it's very difficult to find the species, you know, yeah, they quite rightly, <laughs> because they, they stay away from humans, which is great. Um, but no, I think zoos do play a really important part in kind of inspiring people, as you say. They definitely did for definitely. me. Yeah. Um, now, I do tend to ask everyone this question um, in the podcast and you've maybe answered already with the beginning about how you got into zoos, but what advice would you give someone who wants to work in conservation today?
0: So I would just, I would tell them to be remain passionate remain enthusiastic sometimes it feels like you're going in circles like you know it's not well known that what is quite well known I should say sorry that you know conservation it doesn't pay the big bucks so you're never going to be a millionaire off the back of uh, you know the conservation work or zoo work and you know you really have to remember that when you go into this this kind of line of work and I think that's quite an important um, consideration to make um, for for some people um and you know just you're quite often working strange hours um, in strange places <laughs> um occasionally especially if you're out in the field you know there's quite often sort of rougher conditions to, to be living in you know you might be in a tent for months at a time depending on the role that you're involved with uh you know all these things are worth remembering um but if that is truly what you want to do then amazing it's so rewarding being involved in the world of wildlife conservation and you know it And I would say that it probably is in any kind of capacity. I'm lucky to be, um, you know, in in a sort of education capacity. But if you're out in the field or you're a zookeeper or you're an educator, you know, it doesn't matter. It's such an amazing field of work to be involved with, for sure. Um, Just stay motivated. Um, You'll probably have to, you'll probably find that you'll have to, um, kind of volunteer quite a bit um, yeah. so try and get out there get some voluntary experience behind you if um, if you're considering doing some sort of degree or college qualification in, in biology or animal science or animal husbandry go for it it doesn't hurt to have something like that behind you as well. Um, you know, having a qualification to complement all of that sort of experience that you would get from volunteering, you know, if you've got both things, wow. that makes you like so much more valuable, um, you know, in the, in the kind of conservation world. So, yeah, just go for it and keep going for it because, um, you know, you might not achieve, uh, you know, paid employment straight away. It's yeah. a very kind of tough um, sort of sector to try and find a job in, but yeah. it's not impossible. And if you remain passionate, remain enthusiastic, you'll you'll get there in the end.
1: Get there eventually. No, that's definitely good advice. And we are coming to the end of our time, but um, I just wanted to ask, how can listeners learn more about Five Sisters Zoo and how could they maybe support your work?
0: So uh, listeners um, can jump onto our website, so fivesisterszoo.co.uk. You can also please, you know, jump onto her Facebook. You can like us on Facebook as well. So it's just Five Sisters Zoo. We're on Instagram as well. Um, And, you know, Feel free to, to send an email across as well at any time. If anybody's ever interested in any of the any of the work that we do, you can send an email across. Send it to myself. Um, my email address is just adam at fivesisterszoo.co.uk. I'd be more than happy to answer any questions anybody has about this interview or about anything that we do generally here at Five Sisters. So yeah, there's lots of ways that you can get involved. Obviously, we have whole manner of different sort of animal adoptions and um, you know, kind of education opportunities that you can get involved with. And, and you'll see all of that on our on our website so any support is much appreciated
1: that's great thanks adam well thank you so much for for coming on today and joining us it's been lovely to speak to you your enthusiasm rubs off it reminds me of all the fun i've had in in conservation education in zoos so thanks for joining us um, and speak to you soon
0: no problem thank you very much